0: Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 73 of Steve AG with my guest, the very talented writer director Riley Stearns. Who, by the way, this was really my first time sitting down and hanging out with him we're friends via social networking um i think i first reached out to him when i saw a short that he did with his wife mary elizabeth winstead um it's very funny it's called cask c-a-s-q-u-e uh, and you can find all of the things we talk about here on uh on the internet you can find his shorts uh cask and the cub uh i believe on his vimeo page uh we talk about his film Faults, which I'm a huge fan of. It's really good. You should check it out. That's on Netflix. So there's really no reason you should not check out everything we talk about here. Uh, A little heads up, um, Riley came over and we started talking right away. And then about 20 minutes later, I realized I had not not pressed record on my Zoom. So uh, you didn't get to hear us talk about electric cars. Sorry, but... um, (laughs) Whatever, you didn't miss out on much. Um, Just two guys talking about uh, Teslas. um, So whatever. Uh, But other than that, it went off off without a hitch. Um, What else? What do I have to plug? Uh, This weekend, I will be doing my monthly show that I do with Brendan Small, uh, Baked. Uh, We've usually been doing it at the improv this month, though. We are doing uh, the second year of a night on Broadway, I believe it's called, uh, where they shut down a big chunk of Broadway in downtown L.A. for a few blocks. And there's all these old vintage theaters that uh, I think are usually not in use. So they open them up for the day and uh, it's just this big like street fair. It's all free, you can just walk in and out of all these theaters. It's worth going and bring a camera just to see these theaters, they're amazing. Uh, last year we did it in a place called the Tower Theater, which was really cool. This year they're having us in a theater called the Palace Theater, which is massive. I I feel like we don't have <laughs> any business being in this giant theater, it's really cool. Uh, I believe uh we go on at around eight p m uh and do a show for about forty five minutes to an hour uh, Our guests this month will be uh comedian John Daly who's very funny so if you're not doing anything this weekend uh please come down check out um you can check out my instagram or Twitter to find out more details uh so that's happening this weekend you can also i think go to a night on Broadway dot LA or night on Broadway LA. I don't know which one it is. Boy, I'm really full of information, aren't I? Anyway, let's stop with the rambling and let's get right into the podcast. Once again, I want to thank Riley for coming over and recording and I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoy it and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. It stopped recording. <laughs> this has only happened one other time. <laughs> I was like, I, I wonder why I don't see the levels, peaking or anything we were just talking about hybrids anyway (sighs) yeah that's true it it happened once one other time with my friend jeff davis we were talking about travel agents (laughs) and i looked at the at the recorder and i was like oh fuck dude and we talked for 20 minutes this is going to be so much more interesting of an intro now though so I'm here with my friend who I've known for a while now. I know all his thoughts on car. <laughs> fucking a i am so embarrassed no so what's funny
1: is yesterday i listened to your podcast with lynn shelton to like oh yeah just see what it was all about everything and how how it kind of went down i was like oh that'll be cool i think i might have mentioned and you mention in that you say let me just make sure i'm recording really quick just because that would suck if if i wasn't
0: what threw me off was i put this attachment on the end of the zoom (laughs) because i was like oh when he comes in if we're talking about anything good while he's in here, I, I can get the room.
1: Well, you missed the part where you allowed me to put my umbrella inside your apartment.
0: That's true. You put the umbrella. We I talked s- about the
1: cameras I for a second. said,
0: did you find... Find my apartment (laughs) already. I gave away the location of where we live, so that's good. So you guys missed that, yeah. But then we talked about hybrid cars. Hybrids, uh,
1: playing bass. We both wanted to be bass players, which is so weird and dumb of anybody to want to be a bass player.
0: I still, because of my, you know, I have this theory, and I think a lot of people have this theory, and I think it's true that a lot of actors or artists want to be musicians, a lot of musicians really want to be actors or comedians. Yeah. And so I was at a, a party with my friend Brendan Small, who created a show called Metalocalypse. Yeah.
1: And I, I know, uh, what was the show before that again? Home the,
0: movies. Home movies is so good. So I saw Brendan at a party and, uh, we started talking music because he went to Berkeley College of Music. Like he's an amazing yeah. guitar player and we were just talking gear for a long time. And then. He goes, hey, tonight I'm going to the Baked Potato, which is a jazz club in Studio City uh, to see some friends play. Do you want to go? And I was like, sure. And so we go and we're sitting in this small, I mean, it's like 80 seats. It's a really small room watching, you know, these guys play. And they're like, it's a jazz club. They're like legit. Yeah. Like these are guys, some of these guys played with Zappa and they're like all studio musicians, really good. And we both had the same idea after the show. We're like, why don't we do a show here in this music venue with stand up and music? We'll like, cause we know a lot of comedians and actors who do your wife sings. We know a lot of comedians who play instruments. I was like, I think we know enough people we can do a show with our friends, interview them, have them tell jokes or whatever. And then at the end of their set, they do a song with the band. That's such a great idea. And so we started doing it and we've been doing it for three years. And for me, it's just, I get to live out my dream once a month of playing rock star. And I'm playing with dudes who are so good that they make me better. Like yeah. I play better. They show me shit every time we rehearse. And, um, it's been awesome. Um, so it's been keeping me playing bass just enough.
1: Yeah. I think the, the base thing too, for me was I all, I wanted to be creative and I love music. Uh, and, and I was like, I really want to play an instrument and I think that that would be really cool. Yeah. Um, but I also didn't like the spotlight on me. Yeah. And so the bass player was this cool little thing where yeah. I got to be like the guy in the background. Yeah. But then my favorite bands were all the ones where like Primus was my favorite band for dude. I mean, still me is too. like one of my favorite bands, but me too. I, and I, I think I always was drawn to the bass players who actually were out front and were mm-hmm. more uh, gregarious and yeah. more talented and, or I guess at least in, in, uh, more upfront about their talents yeah. and, and honest about that. And like Victor Wooten and Stanley Clark oh and Jocko Pastorius and like all those dudes yeah or my heroes uh but Picture I also
0: Well wow, that's a deep cut.
1: I mean Bella Fleck. Bella Fleck and that my I had a bass teacher for like 6 weeks uh there was this music store and because I grew up in Austin, Texas and there's this place called Mars Music uh-huh. which was a competitor to Guitar Center for a long time. Yeah. And I so I started taking lessons there for a little while and I forget the guy's last name but his name first name was Sean and he was the bass instructor there and he like I was showing him a primus thing like really poorly probably because I was in eighth yeah, grade yeah. and just like learning and I had this crappy, yeah. crappy bass and, and he was like, that's pretty cool. Check out this though. And he played uh, Sinister Minister by Bela Fleck and the Flecktones and I was like,
0: oh. Oh, oh there's a lot more out there. It's not
1: just Les Claypool. Like I, in my mind, I was like, he's the best play, bass player of all time and then I heard that and then that opened my eyes to other things that were yeah. out there and I just got super into like jazz, fusion, funk, yeah. like all that stuff. Amazing. And so like oh when God. I play at home uh which i just started playing bass again i stopped for like 10 years i saw on your
0: instagram you got a jazz master
1: i i got a uh jaguar jaguar Uh
0: um and so I would awesome.
1: always wanted a jazz bass, uh Fender jazz bass. I've got a Warwick that I'm probably getting rid of now. Really? Yeah, it's like I had I've had it since the 2002. I I saved up for months and months and months and put it on layaway and just yeah. like would go and put like $100 down each time I got a paycheck and yeah. uh yeah, it's six, I guess 16 I got that. Um and but I recently I was like I kind of I feel like that one might not be as suited to what I want to do anymore and yeah. and so the Jaguar bass is cool because you can change so many different settings and make it sound so different, active and passive and all these switches. And it's kind of funky and weird. So yeah, I picked that up. And when I play at home, I'm either playing like uh, slap stuff like primacy stuff. that yeah. I'm trying to relearn now. Yeah, or I'm trying to like write weird, sad. Oh my god, uh, uh like post rock <laughs> types of type of things, like mogwai-ish stuff. Yeah, oh, you,
0: who you saw recently? I just right?
1: saw my. Ma- I'd never seen mogwai before, even never though they're one of my favorite either. bands. And I saw the uh, Atomic show where they play live the score that they made for the Atomic documentary, which is this yeah. kind of experimental documentary about atomic energy and nuclear weapons. Where was and this? This was. At at the ace hotel downtown and oh, i found I out about place. it the day before and i bought ticket or a ticket to it because i'm by my, i was all by myself so i went down to that and i was in the nosebleeds and it was still incredible still awesome. and so out, loud like i i miss so many shows me now too
0: because i just don't know
1: well they tweeted about it the day before and I just started following them recently because I was like, "Why am I not following one of my favorite bands?" Yeah. And uh, they tweeted about it, and I bought a ticket like thirty dollars. It was thirty dollars. Like I'm, of course, I'm gonna do like it's like seeing a Broadway show, but way cheaper. And I and more enjoyable. I would say that that was probably one of my favorite concerts I've ever seen. Really, though. it was so incredible and so emotional because it's not just the music is really good, and I'm seeing a band that I've always admired, but also the documentary itself is like breathtakingly. Were they playing sad. footage behind them? They had a, the film playing behind them, and then oh, they each had a monitor in front of them, um, and I, don't know exactly how they were staying so perfectly. Cause there, there's one thing where it's so perfectly timed that uh, to a cut where I was like, okay, there must be some type of backing track that they're kind of yeah. listening to to help them. Yeah. Because otherwise, I, I mean, it's, it's one of the most insane things I've ever seen. I saw the, uh, and when Mary and I were in New York, uh, we saw Punch Drunk Love with a live score, uh, that John, John Brian did. What? Uh, and that was kind of incredible recently. But, yeah, that was in New York. They did one here and one in uh New York. And again, yeah, there you go. You're missing I out. I
0: can't believe I didn't know about it. The this. only
1: bummer of a uh, 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 out of that though was that they played a digital uh, uh print of it, or I guess it's not a print, but they did yeah. it uh, projected it digitally and oh it it was stuttering so bad, like the file was mm. not able to keep up or the computer wasn't keeping up with the file. And so there were moments where it looked like like the worst bar TV you've ever uh, seen. no! But you also are getting to hear the score live, and it's one of my favorite movies. So. Oh mine too. So I, I'm now like I just want to see more bands or 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 uh, composers do the live score to the movie thing because it's it's something that used to everyone used to do back in the day. Yeah. and Now nobody does it, and it's kind of incredible.
0: I'm still in shock. I didn't know that he he did. Did he do it at Largo?
1: I don't know where they did it uh, when they were I'm here, but uh, I know that Paul. Thomas Anderson was there for that one. And and then the one that I was at in New York, I think it was, oh, God, who was there? Uh, I'm trying to remember who sang uh, He Needs Me. It might
0: have been like. Uh, oh, Shelly. That was Shelly uh, Duvall. Yeah. But like they, they brought in a guest for it and oh, like did fuck. that. And uh, it was, yeah, mind blowing. It was so good. I'm so John Bryan is one of the greatest live performers I've ever. And I've never been to
1: his show, even though he does it all the time here at the Largo. So does it once a month. One of these days,
0: I need to do it. Usually, the last Friday of every month. Yeah, and it's always different. Sometimes he does all acoustic. Sometimes he. I saw him do one show where he had drums set up with a sequencer, so he would just play a beat. And then get up and get his guitar and start playing along
1: with it and And that's something that victor wooten would do that like i i got obsessed with loop station stuff like looping things around and so yeah but john bryan's like incredible because he's doing
0: every instrument uh himself which is pretty i opened for him once at largo and was so nervous usually i'm not nervous but because it was a music show i'm like none of these people in this audience have come to see any comedy at <laughs> all, they're probably not expecting it. I'm gonna walk out, and they're gonna be fucking bummed out. <laughs> yeah, it was um, fine though, because Largo's. Amazing. That's what I was
1: gonna say: is they know the venue. The, a lot of people who go to that venue know that it's a comedy concert venue kind of thing. So I that, feel like, yeah, that's, it, they're they're an educated audience. I
0: think that's the only place I would do that. I opened for Fiona Apple there once too, and yeah, that, that was that was terrifying because I had seen her just. A couple weeks before at the Palladium, and or no, at the uh, at the Greek, and the guy that opened for people were like fucking screaming at her. they. Her fans are psycho. Like, oh, I'm sure. Just all these like girls who are now women who are just like, anytime there's a quiet moment in one of her songs, people are just screaming, "I love you," just screaming her name, just <laughs> fucking screaming, and it's fucking insane.
1: My sister has this really awkward story where uh, Mary, uh my wife was in Austin doing Death Proof mm-hmm. and Quentin Tarantino directed that obviously. So yeah. he he was always showing films at uh, Alamo Drafthouse, the yeah. original Alamo Drafthouse yeah. back in the day. And my sister went with Mary to one of these screenings and Fiona Apple was there and in the restroom my sister said that she thought that she uh, she saw Fiona Apple crying. And so she asked probably. her. She, she asked her if she was okay, and she, she looked at my sister like, "Why wouldn't I be?" And my sister is the like most emb- <laughs> like she's easily embarrassed, and and she's such a sweet person, and and she just genuinely wanted to make sure that yeah. something was okay. And then she was mortified <laughs> that like she interrupted that moment or whatever it was. But uh, yeah, I I that's what I always think of when I think of Fiona Apple, and the fact that Mary is probably one of her biggest fans too. Oh yeah, yeah. Like when Mary Mary plays piano kind of now like we yeah. bought a piano recently like a really really old one and got it used and the worst part about it was trying to get it up the stairs i think getting because we've got like a lot of stairs into our house yeah. and and so that that was like on our an ordeal but when she plays piano she's almost always trying to play P- fiona apple songs that she learned yeah. when she was a kid so oh my God, like her okay. my victor
0: wooten and les claypool is her fiona apple by the way yeah. i this. the the same girlfriend that, uh, that broke up, that broke up with me. This might have been a story I was telling before I hit record. On it. <laughs> I had a girlfriend that broke up to, up with me the night I graduated from music school. But, uh, the same girlfriend is the one that turned me on to Primus. And, uh, so I used to go see, Prim- I've probably seen Primus close to 10 times. God, yeah, they were my first concert. And I once went, my girl, that same girlfriend, her family was from Sacramento and we were in Sacramento one week and uh, Rush was playing at the Arco Arena, this big like where they play basketball and stuff. And I was never a fan of Rush. I'm not a huge, huge fan, but I, I appreciate yeah, them at least. I was never a huge fan, but Primus was opening for him. I'm like, we're going to see Rush. And she was like, all right. And so we went, and Primus just killed. They were so fucking awesome. And then we stuck around and saw Rush, and I was like, so blown away. I was like, holy shit! No, I know if I saw him live, I would, I would pre- be pretty like stoked. Yeah, it was. I had not seen anything like that. I was like, just because Primus was just three guys, and they fucking rocked, and they were awesome. But it was in this huge arena, and then Rush came out and just filled the like. It was like. Yeah. It was like watching an orchestra, but it was still three guys.
1: Yeah. And then they're like, that's Les Claypool's favorite band is Rush. Yeah. Which I, I think he set when, cause I used to be like a super fan of Primus. So yeah, me like too. I, I read all the interviews I could read and oh, I wanted to too. like know all the trivia. <laughs> and when you're a kid, you like get obsessed with things like that. And I was just really obsessed with musicians in general. And, and yeah, I remember him. So he's got Getty Lee's signature on his Carl Thompson bass. Yeah. Uh, and then he also, uh, mentioned that like they would play shows with other bands where the audience wouldn't get them yeah and then they played for rush fans and like rush fans really that's dug them so, so i i think that's kind of cool
0: yeah there used to be a music store on cuanga where cuanga turns into ventura i think it's called west la music it was the sister store the actual west la music in in west la but um i went in there one day just to look at bases this was probably like the late 90s And there was a Carl Thompson bass hanging on the wall. And I was, I was like, I'm going to do whatever I have to to buy that fucking bass. I was obsessed with him. And I I saw it across the room and I walk over and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm about to try a Carl Thompson bass. Pulled it off the wall. It was a left handed bass. (laughs) I was so fucking pissed off. (laughs) I was like, who the fuck? fuck did this yeah (laughs) and i still played it like i flipped it over so i was playing it you know the strings upside down and it still sounded better than like any bass I'd ever and played. It's so
1: funny because I've heard that they're the best playing basses ever. And I've also heard from some like really talented bass players that they feel like that they're weighted weird and that they don't play right. And it's oh, because wow. they're handmade. Like yeah. I guess each bass is going to be different. Yeah. And I just love that his basses became famous because Stanley Clark obviously played one back yeah. in the day. Yeah. He had like his piccolo bass. Yeah. And Les Claypool saw that and was like, Oh, I want like I, that would be cool to have a bass like that. Yeah. And one ended up in his like local music store. And so he ended up buying that as a kid for like probably pennies compared to what they're worth now. Oh, they're like three thousand dollars or like ten grand. Really? Like people and the wait list is for so so long and Carl is Thompson he, himself is like very, very old. Yeah. And he's still kicking, but like really? yeah, I looked up their website recently, just out of curiosity. And uh yeah, they, they charge a lot of money. But there are people now doing uh like replica bases of Carl Thompson stuff and trying to make I've money seen off of that. Some.
0: I was at Nam last year and I saw some bases that I was like that's the fucking closest thing I've ever seen to a Carl Thompson base. Yeah, they, they didn't feel as good. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is. I used to be so into
1: like the weird scrolls on bases. And, yeah, like, me All too. Wood, and that's why I got my Warwick. Was when I you're, loved?
0: I used to be obsessed kid, with Warwick. Like,
1: and uh, like a thousand dollars is how much I think I spent on that thing, or maybe eight hundred. I got the like l- yeah. lowest model that yeah. they made but I had a wood base and I yep. wanted that and I wanted that like feel and everything. And, and now for me, it's having a fender is a little bit more like practical and, uh, but it's not nearly weighted
0: as good as the, as the Warwick is one like of it's my,
1: definitely out of balance.
0: One of my first bases was, a. uh, uh- Ibanez sound gear. Do you remember? Yeah, that yeah. Because it kind of looked. Yeah, that's what Fieldy played from Corn. Yes, it kind of looked like a, uh, a a Warwick or a, a Carl Thompson, and they had wood. I bought one that was wood. Yeah. Because I just fucking wanted one so bad. And my second cheap. base
1: was an LTD like model that was similar to what you're talking about. Yeah. And it was enameled and everything, but it was wood grain kind yeah. of, but it was close enough for me. And, yep. and then, yeah, after a couple of years, I, I was just like, I'm going to save all of my car wash money, <laughs> uh, like, or all of my, where was I working at sea island shrimp house? When yep. I worked there I'm like
0: can save all that and, and buy a new base. Um, I, I think I bought my first base. Well, I, there were two bands I saw. First I saw you Two rattle and hum and I was like, and I was, I liked you Two. They were, you know, I thought they were good, but I saw rattle and hum. It was, I think it was maybe the first concert movie I'd ever seen. And I was like, you know, just the fucking shots of the crowd going crazy. And when, when they, when the music starts, I was like, Oh my God, I think I need to be in a band. (laughs) And then I went and saw Jane's addiction, uh, at the uh, suggestion of a girlfriend at the time it was like oh, there's this new band you gotta s- they're fucking so original and they're just fucking aggressive and i was like all right right, I'll go. and i'd never seen anything like it i was like fuck this isn't like hair metal and it's not like oingo boingo type yeah. new way by the way oingo boingo was one of my favorite bands too and and so like just a couple days I think after I saw Jane's addiction, I like was telling my friend Sam, I was like, I gotta I gotta get a, a base. I for some reason I wanted a base I liked the bass. And he's like, I got a base, I'll sell you. I was like, What? And he, goes, yeah, he had like a base in his parents' house. It was called Arbor. It was an Arbor base. I've never seen them. I've never seen the cruise
1: base that I had was yeah. like the short scale base, uh, where it, the Frets were so cheap that I was able to eventually pry them off yeah, and, and make, make it a into fretless, fretless out of like it like a, Yeah and like <laughs> but I pried them off by basically my just fingernails. Like those <laughs> thing, that that base was so shitty but yeah like I everyone starts on something. Oh so. my god,
0: it was looking back and I kept it in my parents closet, one of the closets in my parents house for years after I had many bases. I just was I abandoned it. I remember like going home for Christmas one year. I was like, holy shit, it's still here. And I took it out and I was like, this is impossible. Mine was the same way. You could put two fingers between the fretboard and the strings. Like, like that like vertically two I feel fingers. like
1: everyone should learn on something like that though because it really weeds out who wants to play yeah. and who doesn't and it you learn you're
0: strong and you, you
1: you get strength from it and you also learn what a good bass plays like like <laughs> if I had started off on my Warwick oh, I, I would have spoiled. just been like maybe I, yeah I would have felt spoiled so yeah, I learned yeah. on something that was to- like very hard to play
0: yep I went from that to like a uh, God what did I get I don't remember what my sec, it was a, uh, PV. It was like a P some weird PV bass that was like a million times better than that Arbor base. And then after the PV, I got a, uh, I got the Ibanez yeah. sound gear. And I was like, Oh my God, this is like playing on butter. It feels so good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When I first moved out here, I was going to try to figure out how to be in a band or something. Yeah. And that, quickly changed because I, I visited sets with uh, like I had visited a couple of sets that Mary had been working on yeah. and met directors and writers and yeah. things and and uh, of all movies Final Destination three when she was on that one like that was my first taste of like a your real, wife Mary Elizabeth Winstead. yeah my wife Mary Elizabeth Winstead uh, when we were babies she I was 18 she was 19 I think she did Final Destination three that's when
0: you met that long ago we
1: I met her I was 17 and she was 18 in we, tech did you meet in tech we met on cruise what Mary was living in Salt Lake City and I was living in Austin I was in high school she had just graduated and that was kind of a graduation gift to herself type of thing because she was making money working on like soap opera and then she left that and was on a a show on CBS called Wolf Lake for a little while and Wolf Lake had just gotten canceled but she graduated like homeschooled but graduated high school and she was from Salt Lake Lake City was originally Uh, from North Carolina but her dad got a job transferred to Salt Lake City so she grew up there for a while right um and yeah when we met uh she was she was on that trip and i went with my friend and his friend and my friend's parents and we met like the second to the last day of the cruise a but cruise. she had been following me around the cruise because i was like the dork sitting in the jazz band's lounge and just watching these really awesome jazz musicians yeah. play a lot and just kind of like checking out the bass player and yeah. like watching the, the the guitar player and stuff and she, uh, she apparently had been following me around, but I walked too fast. So she could never like, she would turn a, she would turn a corner and I would be like at the end of a hall already. Where the fuck did he go? And, uh, I did used to walk very, very fast. I just yes. was like, well, why not walk fast? Sure. If like when you can. Get that heart rate right up. getting up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we, the, f- like, oh man, I was such an, dork like the first day, like so I brought all my like quote unquote cool clothes I was I had all my band t-shirts and I, I, I was at that point was wearing cool women's uh, women's bell bottoms from like the vintage store because that was Nothing the, wrong with the that. tightest I love bell bottoms. the tightest pants that I could get yeah. and at that point they didn't make guys skinny jeans skinny jeans actually didn't really even exist then Uh, and this is like 2003 2004 Yeah. and uh, the day that we met I finally had given up hope of meeting a cool girl so I was <laughs> Cruise, my,
0: I would never even,
1: I, I'm, this is my parents. I hope they don't listen. Like, I, I bought my first set of condoms for the cruise just because yeah. I was like, just in case, <laughs> and uh, it definitely didn't happen. Like, That's amazing. I made out with Mary, but like, yeah. yeah, nothing more than that. It was so harmless. But the day that we but met, you were
0: living in Texas, and she was living in in
1: Salt Lake City. Where was this cruise? Cruise was in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, so it was like, uh, oh, it was, There was a hurricane. Corpus
0: Christi is that where it left? It,
1: it uh, hubbed out of New Orleans. Okay, so we I I went with my friend's uh, family like via car to New Orleans, and she flew out from Salt Lake City. It was a little bit longer of a drive. And while we were on the cruise, there was also uh, a hurricane. So we like, <laughs> the ship was like crazy rocking and like, Fuck. it was, but, I get um,
0: seasick. I couldn't handle it. The
1: second to the last day of the cruise, we ended up like kind of running into each other and I was wearing the worst like cargo shorts that I brought is like, well, I need a pair of shorts. And, and so like, I immediately was, I think thinking like, how do I go back to my room and change into my cool clothes? And so <laughs> that I, I was, was like, such yeah, a it's, nerdy it's, dude. It's like, I was so the same st- way. I, high school, dumb high school kid. I was the same way. Like weird around girls. Like yeah. I had girlfriends before, but like, definitely this girl was a little different and uh and yeah like we hit it off and like basically made out like dumb kids the rest of the cruise and then
0: romance quotient is like jacked up because you're on a cruise like
1: i asked if i could kiss her in the elevator and like all these things that now looking back are so silly and stuff but she remembers it and was like i I just like that you actually asked me and things like that but uh and then we did long distance for four and a half uh, months after that without seeing each other and this was also before video pre, chat it was like yeah. aim we would do aim i racked up a accidentally a 300 cell phone bill on my mom's phone because i didn't have a cell phone then but i didn't i thought that we had nights and weekends and it turns out we only had weekends so oh, all no. night i was talking on the phone with mary and yeah so i had to pay that off and that went against my base fund uh, obviously yeah. and uh saw her at thanksgiving again that year and then we kind of were like uh, from that point on never very far from. From each other in terms that of that like, is fake, like man. A few months, what are the you know? odds? It,
0: she almost didn't go on the just, cruise, though, too. What's yeah, that?
1: she almost didn't even go on the cruise because she turned down a movie to do it.
0: If someone were to say to me, I'm going to pay for you to go on a cruise. Where do you want to go? The Gulf of Mexico would be the last place I would. I also was from Texas, so I didn't know any better, too. It was like Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. Like, uh, I would Car- like Alaska, Caribbean. Caribbean.
1: Well, now it's like, well, Car- Caribbean. I mean, it's still like, well, it's not the European Caribbean. But right. Like, yeah. It was like, uh, Jamaica and, oh, and right. stuff like that. So like th- there were things that we did, but we didn't end up. We went to two, uh, uh, Ports And uh, one of them was like kind of to hide the ship from the hurricane. So we didn't like they weren't even ready for anybody. It wasn't a planned thing. So like and then we didn't, ended up not going to Mexico. And and instead, the boat was like the waves are crazy. I remember going and playing air hockey with my friend. Uh, that was also the first time I ever got drunk was on that cruise. Uh, no and like the, a guy in a gift shop taught my friend and I how to sneak it on board. Oh, God, like the Jamaican dude, just like, hey, buy this one that looks like water, put it in a water bottle, like nobody'll know. And the dumb things, yeah. Again, Holy shit! I had a lot. Oh, and Mary, and I, Mary got drunk on the fir- for the first time on that cruise too, uh, on the exact same day as my first day. So a lot of like weird wow. like, coincidences. And then Kismet. yes, but uh well, yeah, we've been together ever since. Uh, going, I've been together thirteen years, married for five. Holy shit, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I asked you this when we got sidetracked. Also, I think I asked you before. <laughs> Where is our recording? recording? First job in
1: entertainment. Okay, yeah. Entertainment. So first job in... Well, I, I like to go in succession of like actual jobs in LA because I feel like sure, everyone's sure. jobs in LA lead to Target the next thing. Target,
0: Urban Outfitters. So yeah,
1: Target for two weeks, uh, quit without giving notice, so I'm not allowed to be hired at Target ever That's again, apparently. Uh, Urban Outfitters cool. for like two or so years. Uh, had my worst manager uh, I've ever had, like worst boss ever at the Urban Outfitters that I worked at in Studio City. Uh, finally left that. They wanted me to be a manager and I said I didn't want to because I wanted to actually do something with my life. And, uh, that manager did not like that. Of course, So I kind of like was phased out. Uh, and then, uh, speaking of final destination three, Glenn Morgan was one of the writers on that movie and right. he, he and Jim Wong worked together, uh, worked together a lot back then. And, uh, right. Glenn was going to be running a, a show called bionic woman for NBC and they needed a PA. So I got the job of PA. He like kind of gave me my first right. job in the industry. And, um, after that, I met uh, a show. I met another producer on that one who ended up running a show uh, right after Bionic Woman got canceled called Minorish Enemy. So I was a writer's assistant right. on that one. And then after that show got canceled, I became that, that producer, Jason Smilovic, I became his personal assistant, right. uh, for a little while. And then Glenn ended up running another show for Cartoon Network and they were, it was called Tower Prep and it was their kind of attempt at doing live action. Right. So they did a live action kids show, kind of like yeah. young adult show, uh, an hour long. And that was my first staff writing gig. And that got me my WGA card nice. and I wrote two scripts on that. Both were completely rewritten. And didn't really feel like I wanted to have to go through that experience of being right. rewritten again because I, I just kind of felt like my voice was my voice and yeah. I was trying to make something for the show but I also wanted it to be kind of different and weird and one of our other writers on the show was Darren Morgan, right. Glenn's brother who wrote some of the best X-Files episodes of all time yeah. and, and so I was just like, I want to do that. I want to like try to be a little meta but not like too crazy but i i wanted to be a little different and yeah as a staff writer that didn't really work out yeah. so uh right after that show got canceled i basically was like i'm just going to start doing my own stuff and i made a short that like at the time i was proud of and i don't think it's horrible but it doesn't really represent me as a filmmaker anymore so i've kind of like tried to like take it offline the line and it's it's, a cub? it's no that that i love the cup uh this yeah. this was a, a horror thing that i did called magnificat which is like a religious like, term <laughs> right. that now it sounds kind of funny too but like uh mary was one of the leads of that or was the lead of that yeah it's kind of like a a ripoff of uh repulsion meets rosemary's baby i right, was definitely right. into uh those films yeah. then, and so i was kind of trying to do a little bit of a uh elevated horror thing that now I feel like was so calculated and a little pretentious. Right. And I don't really like it that much anymore. <laughs> um, and then I made a really silly short in our garage called cask. And I think that's the first time I ever, like really, uh, had any kind of correspondence with you was you saw that posted it and like, Told Mary like how much you loved it, and via Twitter. Yeah, and uh, that was the first time that I made something where I was like, even though it's silly and it's not really, yeah, there's no story in there. It's like a girl who's got headphones on; she's repeating French phrases. It's and, so
0: good, dude. And it's
1: just like, well, thank you, but like, it's it's also just I, I was just like, I got I just need to do stuff. I need to like be making things, dude. That's the best way. So we shot it in our garage with my DSLR, and like I just yep. didn't really think it, uh, like overthink it, and I had so much fun doing that, and it my first short I actually put a little bit of money into like five grand and like renting lights and a red and all of that stuff. And then this like, tiny little thing that we did in our garage played a couple of festivals nothing crazy but that That's first so one good. didn't get into anything and yeah, the yeah. second one actually got into a couple of things yeah. and it got a response online and pretty shortly after that i made the cub. what's it called again uh the first one was called cask and then i sorry no sorry no. Uh, the, the first one that i really liked was cask uh, the first one the horror thing was called magnificat
0: but the one where, where mary's speaking yeah me. cask
1: and that's the, that was the first one where I was like, all right, it's, and it's not really a great short. Right? That one's online. Yeah, you can still see that on my Vimeo page. And it's not a great short, but it was a good, uh, exercise for me to figure out kind of like, but absurd it's one of those things. things
0: that I saw. I was like, fuck this. This is genius. Oh, like, thanks. I don't, like, this is the, and I was thinking, this is the type of thing that you do when you're just like, why I had Let's a, fucking turn on the camera and make something funny? I
1: had just gotten back from sundance uh and and smashed was there a movie that Mary was in, yeah, and we, while we were there, we saw this film called L, which was uh part of this like Greek. Filmmaking, like I, it's not even like really a collective, but it's like friends uh, of Yorgos Lanthimos and yeah. uh, Ethemis and and some of the other guys that I also really love their stuff. This this one director named Babis Macritus, uh made this film called L that you can't get on DVD here. You have to get like an import
0: DVD, yeah, which yeah. I do did end up getting an all region DVD. Yeah,
1: but. and I I I just fell in love with that at Sundance, even though it got like really mixed reactions, and we saw it at midnight, so it was <laughs> a really slow film. There were people snoring in the audience, <laughs> but I was just like enthralled the entire time. And I came back and I was like, I want to do something like that. I want to yeah. make something that is a little absurd and more satirical yeah. and, and it doesn't have to be traditional. And, and the, uh, cast was more of like me trying to kind of fill, fill out if I could do that. Right. And then after that, I was like, this feels right to me. Like I like, I, I, I was trying to figure out if I could do something serious and I was trying to figure out serious, you uh, storylines
0: ever and comedic. Aspirations of being like a filmmaker or a writer, like when you were in high school or...
1: When I met Mary, I started thinking about writing.
0: I thought, again,
1: being the bass player kind of personality, I was like, I want to be the writer because I don't want all the focus on me. Okay. So I want to be creatively involved and I want to be like kind of a foundation, but... I don't want to have to be the one who's doing interviews and podcasts. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I'm not that guy. And so, uh, slowly after doing my own shorts, which I, I also, to be fair, I did try to make a short, uh, when I was an assistant on My worst Enemy. I made like a, it ended up being like 20 minutes long and it was
0: still technically never, a short though. It was
1: a short, but I, we never finished it, but it, it was called Stop Eject and it was more like, I don't know kind of me trying to do a Michelle Gondry type of thing but on a no budget type of uh, uh, kick and and I we never finished it sound like it looked fine it was we shot it on a DVX 100 which everyone had and I, I put a 35 millimeter adapter on it I was super into 35 millimeter adapters and just trying to get more of a filmic look and <laughs> but we did not think about sound and I learned oh, I think that like thought. was one of those things that I you have to have that experience once where something fucks up because the sound is so bad for you to realize how important that is so to this yeah. day like I'm so sound oriented I, I want everything on like our guys that we had on my first feature were just incredible mm-hmm. the cub was the same type of thing I got one of my friends to like bring his team out and and how do you, I,
0: by the way speaking of the cub how do you know Davey
1: so Davey uh, who's the lead of the cub was introduced to me by I want to say either James Ponsult or Susan Burke um, I would who imagine Susan. worked on Smashed. Oh, okay. Uh, and they both they were like James co-wrote it with Susan, and James directed it. Um, and I feel like one of the two, if not both, maybe mentioned Davy because we were trying to find an She's actor. So and I reached out dead. to a couple of guys who are like UCB dudes who I didn't really know, but I was like, well, it's worth a shot. Um, and. Uh, for whatever reason, scheduling just it didn't really work out. And then reached out to Davey, had like uh, a lunchtime drink with him. Uh, so and he good. just blew me away and he was so cool. And, and I realized like, okay, this is going to be the guy. And he also had a look because I wanted yeah. the, the like. Yep. I wanted that quirk. Uh, I also wanted him to kind of look like he could maybe be a little bit older. Yeah. And Davey, at that point was uh, not as in shape as he is now. And yeah. he's just lost a, a lot of he weight. Lost so much weight, and it just was. It, it, it,
0: and he You can see the difference. Amazing in now, false. yeah. He's in false. He's in false and He's a lot well. thinner. In a lot
1: thinner. And it was one of those things where it worked out perfectly for the cub because just like everything about it, he's just so funny and visually he was already like his timing was great, but he also looked the part. And so the thing with the cub though that I remember with Davy was that basically the entire beginning of it is just a monologue by the by the dad character, yep. which is what he plays. Yeah. And I didn't really like do any rehearsals or anything or hear him deliver it. I just kind of trusted that he would show up and, and do it. And the first take, he like went through the entire thing without missing a single beat. And I realized at that exact moment, like, holy shit, that could have gone so wrong. I just realized i didn't like <laughs> he could have showed up and because I wanted to do it in really long take's not enough but and and he could have been horrible, and since then like i i won't go into like names, but I worked with one actor uh who did not know their lines very well, yeah, and for a couple of days of shooting like that those were the hardest days I probably ever had on a set and you can't be negative. You have to be positive because then they get in their own head about things. And so I'm having to be positive about this thing. It affects everybody. It it affects everybody. And like the other actors are trying to like help and stuff. The crew like are nervous and, inside I'm screaming and like wanting to like punch this person in their face. And (laughs) because it happened one day and then, uh, this person, like, I was like, well, they'll show up the next time and they'll actually know their stuff. And then the the second time they showed up, the same exact shit was happening. And it was my biggest fear. It was the worst thing. And also mainly because I had to cut lines that I actually really liked and I thought were character, character things. Um, and because the performance wasn't there. So, yeah, and know. and I also <laughs> lost a scene, a whole scene because I of that. I
0: did a I did a Netflix movie a year a year ago, we shot it a year ago. And I'm in two scenes and the first scene is I'm ba- I think I'm doing a lot of exposition in the first I'm like a motivational speaker. I'm setting up like a big tone of the movie in this like Fight Club like type room and I had an eight-page monologue. Oh my god! Yeah. And I'm a, I'm like a character actor. I'm always the guy who comes in at the very end of the scene and says, "Hey guys, you shit on the carpet," and, <laughs> and then it cuts. And it's I always have like just a you few get the lines, phrase, yeah, yeah, which I love doing. And so I, I had this, and I had the script for weeks. And every time I had downtime, I was reading it, just going over it over it, and over it, and over it, and over, it, and over it, for weeks. Before I would go to bed, I'd spend an hour just going over it. I'd wake up in the morning. I'd go I'd take a shit in the bathroom. I'd be sitting there reading it. And it, it got to be like two days, two or three days before we were shooting. And I started getting super nervous because as soon as I would put the page down, I would not remember anything. Yeah. And I called, uh, I don't know if you know, who Pat Healy is Pat was, I, I,
1: yeah, I've met Pat a couple of times. Pat was
0: also on the, on the movie too. And I was like, Pat. I don't know what to fucking do. I am scared as shit. How do you remember lines? And he's like, Oh man, if I had the time, I, I'd help you run lines. But he's like, I can't. He's like, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And I was like, he's like, they're probably going to cut it up too. Like they'll, they'll do coverage. So it doesn't matter. And I was like, I was like, it would still be awesome to do the whole monologue and fucking one take so they can have it. And, yeah. And, uh, And then the night before the director emailed me, he's like, Hey, Steve, looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. It's going to be fun. And I, I was like, can't wait. And I jokingly was like, hope I remember this huge monologue. And he's like, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And I was so fucking nervous. And it's in a room full of people. And then they, they, we went through and uh, they t- did a rehearsal I had my sides with me for the rehearsal and, and then uh, we did the first take and I fucking did it all like as I start talking it was like coming to me and I tried to just be in the moment make eye contact with people and I was like holy shit and as I'm getting in my head as I'm getting towards the end of it I'm like you're doing it you're doing it you're doing it and it, I fucking did it and I was like I was like, thank God I can fuck up now. And I, I did a, a, I took one acting
1: class, uh, in college. I only did one year at at UT of Austin Yeah. and I took a drama class just to like, or an acting class just to be able to, cause at that point I was thinking, I kind of want to direct maybe at some point. Um, and I wanted to be able to like learn how to talk to actors and one of the end assignments, if not the very last assignment of the class was to do a scene with a partner and we had to pick out a scene and I, I got paired up with this girl and. I found a scene and I don't even remember what it was, but I tried my best to learn the lines. But then I kind of also now realize that I probably was kind of slacking, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get there that day and we get a, like a couple of pages in and I just start like blanking. And so uh, I I feel awful and I see her eyes looking at me like you're going to fuck up my grade. Oh no. And then I start getting even more in my own head. Yeah. And basically we just had to end like we stopped and I was like, <laughs> I don't know it. And I went up to the teacher afterwards and I was like, uh, so just, so you know, that's all on me and and she deserves an A. But like, I, I definitely don't want you to take any yeah. this out on her. And he goes, oh, no, I know. And I was like, yeah, that's about he's right. Like, oh, it's obvious. He's like, no, it's obvious. You fucked that up. <laughs> so don't worry. Like, Ugh. Don't be like all high and mighty right now. Ugh. You are going to get a bad grade. And I, I got a pretty bad grade.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Go, going back to Davey, he, um, he's someone that I I, I want to have a, just a long career. As, he would be such a good... He'd have a. St- I think he could have like a huge steady career as a character actor. He's got like, this do you guy know who Stephen Tobolowsky is. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, so Stephen was in Magnificat.
0: Oh, Really? Yeah. <laughs> Davey seems to me like a Stephen Tobolowski yeah. type. Yeah. Like uh, a young. Is that that's my iPad doing that day? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fucking a. Yeah, Davey. I. I even like. Uh, I haven't even told him this, but I've got this like new script that I've. I'm trying to get made right now, and I've got this like tiny weird little character in there. Not tiny, but like there's a, a scene with this one character and I'm like, Davey could be really cool in that. Like, I just always want to figure out how to put Davey in things.
0: What the <laughs> fuck? You're getting like... And who the fuck is texting me a thousand... <laughs> <laughs> it's like a chain. Oh, it's a chain. There's it's a, a chain. text chain and everyone a, is They're replying. all just coming
1: through at the exact same time, Why put under so a pillow. <laughs>
0: um,
1: But yeah, and then when... So... I, after I made the Cub and it, it played Sundance and. I met uh Keith and and Jess Calder right after Sundance and talked about the script that I had an idea for and and uh ended up writing like right after Sundance too which ended up becoming Faults. Oh. I ended up putting Davey and Faults as yeah. well. Uh because so I just good. I like I said I want to keep like
0: using I it. I just watched things. it again last night cuz oh, I wanted awesome. to refresh and I, I forgot how funny it is. Thanks. Yeah. That uh, the cold open. Yeah. Where With he's the in the restaurant and he's just like trying to con his way out of a free meal and he's yeah. like I'm not leaving till I'm done they're like you finished all your food and he just pours ketchup on the plate and starts just eating just being spiteful and yeah those are my favorite types of characters yeah the one I, that it's Leland Orser right
1: Leland Orser is the lead of that movie yeah
0: he's such a good actor and the character he plays is one of my favorite just a guy who's just like life has not been, really been good to this guy and he's just trying to fucking make a living yeah and, those I, people, money. <laughs> I, I
1: like, I like, and I've, I've kind of always described it this way: the movie, and I don't think it's necessarily a spoiler, but to say, but I like that that character starts in a bad place, ends up in a worse place, but yeah. thinks he's in a better place. Yeah, like for me, that's what that that arc is. And yeah. I had actors because we did meet with a lot of people beforehand, and I had people's agents like flat out turn it down, or I or right. say like that they they didn't get it, or they like they said the character was unlikable. I uh, had other. <laughs> (laughs) I had one uh, somewhat famous actor who I was told really wanted it and and I didn't really want him for it, but I was like, well, I might as well meet since he like seems to be really excited about it and met with him and he obviously thought he was told that I really wanted him. So it was one of those things that I'm now realizing that agents like to do that, like tell you that somebody's really into you and vice versa to get you guys to meet. And I don't think that's that does anybody any favors because then he's telling me what I could change about the ending, all the stuff, and he called it like M. Night Shyamalan Lonnie, and uh, i was like fuck you whatnot. but uh when uh, we ended up with leland he was just like the guy he was perfect and perfect Ke- i can't keith, imagine that, someone
0: else doing that that
1: was keith and jess uh their their recommendation they were working with him on the guest and they sent me his picture on the guest while they were on set and i was just like why didn't we think of this before just i'd always human, been such a big that fan and
0: suit and the brown suit the entire movie and the fucking the the way he looks on the book jacket, just <laughs> we did like, photo shoots for that. Fucking a man.
1: But I, I just like characters who are flawed, but n- n- still like you. You believe that they're real people, and and I just felt felt like oh, thing I loved about
0: very real about thing him. I loved about
1: Ansel <laughs> is that he is. He just wants to like wants it to change. He's just waiting for his life to like stop hitting rock bottom. Cause yeah. He's the kind of guy who we model a lot of his stuff after. Talking about like uh, uh, people who suffer from substance abuse and how you hit rock bottom and you make a new rock bottom. Yeah. And so for him, I find a way to go. He even just further. always is finding like a new way to make the like his new rock bottom lower uh, to just keep getting by. And, yeah. And he's just waiting for it to change finally. And so he's ready to like embrace anything that comes at him and
0: and for those listening, uh, the movie is called Faults. It's on Netflix right now, so yeah. you, there's no reason you should not check it out. You can also torrent it. I kind of don't care. Oh no, no. no, you should you should I, fucking watch it on Netflix. It's so good. Um, <laughs> it's about a guy. I mean, how would you describe it? It's about a guy who he depro he claims to be able to deprogram people yeah. who've been hypnotized by cults.
1: Yeah. Uh, so my God, I haven't talked about the movie in so long, but false is basically about a guy who's the world's foremost expert on deprogramming and cults. And, and he is approached. He's at this point though, he's living out of his car and he, he, no mu-
0: he he's, owes money.
1: owes money. He's going through a like bitter divorce. And so like everything is yeah. falling apart for him. And he's, he's uh, doing speaking engagements at uh, like motels <laughs> and in conference rooms. And, And again, like that kind of goes back to the whole first scene where he's, he's trying to get a free meal and kind of trying to con the system to get that free meal. But, uh, he's approached by these, uh, these parents, uh, who are trying to get their daughter back. She's been taken in by a cult called faults and, and, uh, they're just desperate to get her back. And that, that girl is played by my wife, Mary Winstead. And, um, he takes on this job to deprogram her and he has like a week to do it and he's going to get paid some money. And and he, even though at this point deprogramming, it takes place in the 86. And at this point, deprogramming is kind of frowned upon. It's there. Yeah. There had been a lot of lawsuits that had kind of taken away the, uh, the And they switched on to more of a, a scientific approach of right. more of a... God, I haven't, again, haven't talked about it in forever, but it was more scientific in the way that they got people out. Yeah. But he does a full-on deprogramming of her, and as it goes along, it gets darker and weirder, yeah. and uh, in some ways, like, funnier, but in a more darkly comedic sense. Um, you know yeah. what's really funny in that is John... is it you say Grice? Or John Grice, Grice yeah. John Grice and Lance Reddick
0: is also... Who you know there. from There's, Napoleon Dynamite and from Real Genius. Yeah. Anyone seen Real Genius? John,
1: Polish. John is a crazy dude and like, he's so likable and he's just, he's, he delivers a pretty big performance. Oh my God. Yeah. He's so
0: great. He's just this very effeminate guy who's loaned Leland some money, and he also runs English.
1: a photography studio. <laughs> and
0: he oh, basically—he's yeah, taking photos. Well, that's right. When you first see him, he's taking photos. A family.
1: Yeah, uh, my idea for God that care for Terry's character is that he set up the whole way through the movie, the beginning of the movie, uh, only through phone calls and kind of people talking about him. Um, so you're <laughs> kind of like setting him up as this big, like, scary me. dude. Yeah. And like, uh, he's, he's dropping Leland's character, Ansel, as a client. And, and my idea for Terry was that he runs a photo studio. Uh, he takes pictures of a lot of actors and does headshots. <laughs> and so he starts deciding he's going to be a manager too. So he becomes yeah. a manager as well as a photographer um, and he manages Leland or sorry Ansel's career yeah. and uh, when Ansel's career kind of starts going, dropping out and he he sells his book or gives the book rights away to his like one successful book that he wrote to his wife in the divorce yeah. so he's got no more income anymore coming in and Terry's just had enough of it and he owed a, owes him money for self-publishing yeah. and uh, I wanted this whole time for you to think it, it's going to be this like crazy imposing yeah. terrifying person and I had, had forgotten. And I had
0: fucking forgotten really and then yeah. when he showed up i'm like holy shit that's right yeah uh he and his muscle is played is lance by lance reddick yeah from, from the wire, wire
1: and uh, uh fringe and he's just he is so good I, people say this about everyone but like lance genuinely is one of the nicest guys i've ever yeah. met so so caring and just wanted to be there um he initially had talked to me about playing the terry character and the re i had to like kind of Talk to him about why I think he would be so great for this and, and the character of it. And the, like, in the movie to me, and again, this is hopefully not saying too much. I feel like everyone's playing a character, even if it's yeah. worse in subtle ways. I feel like everyone's trying to pretend to be somebody that they're not. Yeah. And I, I think that he really responded to that in, in his character.
0: Where did you shoot it? We shot that in LA. We were in, uh. Was some, that an actual hotel room that. The or hotel room set? that we
1: shot in was a set. And the only okay. way you can really tell is if you look at the dimensions, it's, it's a little bit bigger than a hotel room would be. And that was on purpose for us to be able to shoot, but also for it to feel a little otherworldly, um, hyper real. And then also if you look at the ceilings, that's usually how you oh. can tell if there's a set built for something or not. Is the ceilings are fucking tall.
0: And so you- we had, yeah, definitely we're on a set. Did you design it after a specific hotel? No, more I just loved like, the wood paneling.
1: A lot of it was my production designer, uh, 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 James Connolly, and I just kind of talking about the types of motel rooms that I would stay in at, like yeah. Motel Sixes, or, yeah. or like uh, even
0: more travel traveloggy, yeah.
1: like things are like the mom pop places on trips out in West Texas <laughs> with my dad, or, or something along those lines. It's, the the wood paneling in that for. room,
0: I. I When I saw it, I was like, I wouldn't mind having an actual room in a house that looked like this. And
1: the other thing about that designing uh, process was we wanted to be able to say, well, we're going to be in this motel room a lot. I want to be able to turn the camera at a different angle and have it feel slightly different. Cause we didn't want it to feel stale. So yeah. the wood paneling on one wall would give you a different look for part of the movie. Yeah. You could be on the wallpaper for other parts. There was this like weird window in the back corner. Yep. Um, the bathroom is specifically designed to be very different than the other part of the room. Like, right. they, like my our, my idea was that the guy who, uh, uh owns the motel room or motel complex uh, got a deal on tile and, and a, like blue tile and linoleum and stuff. And so he was just like, <laughs> well, why not have it be blue? Like sure, it just doesn't, and like the toilet and bathtub is all blue. And I, in my mind, it was just like, well, that's the cheapest thing. So yeah, I'll just take that. And I don't care if it matches the rest of the motel room. So very much designed that entire thing. It's very 80s
0: it. looking. It's
1: very 80s in a way that doesn't feel like a caricature. Like that was another thing for me. Um, almost more 70s in a lot of ways because it yeah. was, it was, a, a lot of times in period pieces, like, I heard, I don't know if this is true or not, but a production designer told me that one of the things that annoys him about watching No Country for Old Men is that uh, I think t- it takes place in 85 or something like that. And it's never really stated, but it takes place in 85. And mm. every single car is an 85 model. Oh, it is. And I never really like n- noticed that, but you're I like, also there were don't cars know cars before
0: 1985. And so
1: that's the thing is you, uh, a lot of times, especially in smaller towns, when you're doing a film that's takes, t- takes place in a smaller area and less urban, you're going to be more tin or 20 years behind, especially back then. Yeah. The internet wasn't a thing. And you like, it took things a while to catch up. Yeah. Uh, MTV, like wouldn't have been as prevalent. And
0: yeah. Farm owners and blue collar people aren't going to be w- driving cars. Brand new cars to date. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: we, a lot of our stuff in that movie was actually modeled more around the seventies. Uh, and it was intentionally done that way to kind of feel a little bit more real. And so that's why I feel like a lot of that does feel like a very small, real setting. Um, but also, like I said, a little hyper real.
0: That's so good for your first movie. You have a really good eye. The script's great. It looks fucking great though.
1: Our cinematographer, Michael Reagan, is he also shot The Cub, uh, and he shot my first short, The Horror Thing. Uh, but we became like really good friends through all of this. And I, I feel like I'm going to use him on everything. And he just shot a movie, uh, that came out this year called Kicks, which is also really great. And, uh, he is going to be
0: like somebody to watch for sure. He's a music video
1: commercial director right now, but like his feature stuff is like really good. All
0: the shots are really, You can tell they're thought out and looks really good. Like, thought out on the day, especially. The kidnapping scene and the (laughs) kidnapping was a lot more grocery store. Like,
1: I had that idea for the kidnapping uh, early on where I I just wanted it to be kind of all from inside the van and have it. More really like cool brothers brothersy type of nod yeah. of having it all take place in that frame of the yeah. door inside the van and uh yeah it's and it is funny though because i i we did one director test screening of this before okay. like had temp sound and temp score and all this stuff and it wasn't completely finished and uh one director did end up saying like, do you have any more like shots like outside of the van? Like, and Keith, our producer jokingly was like, yeah, we, well, we do have that helicopter shot that like kind of zooms in (laughs) and goes through the top and everything, but like we just didn't want to use it. But no, like the movie was deliberately shot. And if, if something didn't work, we were kind of screwed because. That it was shot very it's minimal coverage, film. and but that's why I wanted. Like, I, I'm not going to make a movie and then figure it all out in the edit. Like, I want to make. You're a not movie watching and like that. Scene be sure that that's specifically. What you're not
0: watching it. Going, fuck! I wish there was more coverage. Well, that's director you apparently get it. Did. Fucking all in that. Yeah, it's just a quick scene, and it's yeah, fucking, and and I'm proud of it that way. And, and she kicks the dude in the fucking face.
1: And God, yeah, he takes such a good fall too. And yeah, was that I,
0: choreographed. That was choreographed for
1: sure. Yeah, like I even in the script it was written that way. And and like uh, another director friend of mine, when he read the script, uh, gave me the idea of the shopping cart kind of dragging, like yeah. her pulling onto the shopping cart. So that was just like to add a little bit more. And I, I have like purposely stated that there are people in the background who are just watching it happen and don't really do anything because they're kind of in shock and yeah. And I think that's most people's reaction probably Absolutely. to something like that and I did have people then afterwards like there's one person in particular who's like uh, an effects person saying I could, I could make them look like they're more concerned if you want and I was like what? no why would I do that that's why we what? shot it this way <laughs> like manipulate the performance I or can, like have, have them like I can, map like, I can have them like and... run a little like, t- like they're going to go call somebody like no we shot it that way that's why we did it that's just funny yeah i for me there's no point in making a film if you're not like really thinking it out and 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 and, like saying i'm standing by this this idea and i'm I'm standing by the shot and if there's better ideas then great but like on the day you have to be able to let go of the fact that after you shoot it, you've shot it. Yeah. And there are reshoots. And we did do a couple of reshoot things. A yeah. lot of them didn't end up in the movie because in the end, the original version was better or more suited right. to it. And I did fight some battles on that, too. But uh it's it's a team effort. Everyone's like there for a reason. But I do very strongly believe that when you shoot something like you better be ready to like stand by it. So. How much did, did you
0: storyboard everything? No.
1: <laughs> we, you didn't? No, we, uh, I, I created the shot list for each week. Oh, okay. Uh, each week I would create the shot list the weekend prior. Like we, I would have a, a one day weekend. So um, you
0: still knew exactly what you were, I, I would write, figuring it out. Well,
1: no, I, I, we kind of were and kind of weren't. So I would write down things like medium on Ansel close on Claire. Right. But then on the day we would figure out what that meant. And a lot of that would change. And, um, yeah, I've still got my like initial ideas written out in my, like script that I have yeah. and the one that I would cross out all the pages when we would shoot a scene. And it was just like this thing. Like, How long thing. did it take? 18 day shoot. Oh, not bad. Um, yeah. So quick one. Uh, I don't know the exact budget, but it was not a
0: lot. Yeah. Uh, but it looks more expensive than it actually it really does. Yeah. Um, going back to shorts, I used to have an obsession with movies that were made based on shorts, you know, like um, Bottle Rocket. Yeah. There used the, to be more of those, I think. Or even too Napoleon Dynamite. Worked out really well. Because I would watch a movie and be like, oh, the, I think it was Bottle Rocket, was the first one I watched. And someone's like, oh, you know, it was a short film. For, it went to Sundance and. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, I got to see that. I like yeah. short films." And then you watch it, and it's fine. Yeah. And I'm like, "Who watched this and said this should be a movie?" Because the the short of Bottle Rocket is kind of like just a one. It's pretty one it's, notey. Yeah, like, it's, it's like one, almost like
1: a scene to get a movie, the like feature a made sketch
0: almost. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I never... I'm glad they made it into a movie. It's one of yeah, my favorite movies. Me too. The, the, the whole heist at the end of the movie is one of my favorite like sequences in a film. Yeah. And the fucking short is really just that scene where they robbed the house at the beginning, his it's, parents' house. It's
1: more about the characters, yeah, really. exactly. And uh, I, I feel like that's also partly it was just the 90s. You could do that. I think that people were more like, yeah. hey, you made a short that played Sundance. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll give you some money for a
0: feature. And I know they didn't have a lot, but they hadn't at least a couple of million, I think so. And then you, you know, you, they, Wes Anderson makes that short and then someone's like, we want you to make this into a movie. Where do you go? You're like, <laughs> yeah, do I make this into but a movie it's
1: because he had the characters. And I think that that's important. That's why that one works so well is that those characters were
0: just so figured out. That Owen Wilson character is yeah. one of the so, best. What's his name again? It starts with the D. Dignan. 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 One of the best, one of my favorite fucking characters in the oh, movie man. ever. So good. The other one was even Napoleon Dynamite was a short. Yeah,
1: Uh I the most recent thing that I saw that was a short that was turned into a feature. I, I on the with the Cub, I did the festival circuit with a lot of films that like filmmakers now that are kind of like breaking out or doing their features or yeah. kind of. I think that's the way it always works out to be. But I was with uh, Damien Chazelle and at least a couple of film film festivals who did Whiplash that year. The short. Oh yeah. And I like was blown away by that short. And I knew that's that they made the, sh- like it's the second I, I saw that short and the credits like started rolling. I was like, he made that to get a feature made. Yep. I didn't know anything about the history of it, but I was like, that's going to be a feature. And then Jason Reitman's name came up and I was like, yep, they were using that to get a feature made. And yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. first, one of the first times where I've watched a short and said, I want to see that feature. Like yep. that needs to be made into a feature a lot of the times I actually kind of tend not to like shorts when I can tell that they're made for the yeah. sole purpose of getting a feature made.
0: Yeah. I thought the same thing. I, I didn't see it until I got the, the DVD of it mm-hmm. or I, I bought it on iTunes and the short was one of the extras. Right? And Johnny Simmons is so
1: too. He's so good, and I know that he's like technically not as commercial or whatever, and they had to go with like a Miles thing. And Miles is great in the movie too, and like the the douchiness of the character like is is like he, works, he really yeah, but... like nailed that. Like I'm uh, that's not a, a diss, I, I was just saying that like as an actor, he really nailed that. But uh, I love Johnny. Johnny he's... is so good, and he's got like this like heartbroken like you little feel for him. You, you're
0: fucking pulling for him. He's, he's more just...
1: like a young like also m- Johnny just had more of the look of a young like freshman. Whereas miles to me seemed more like an adult. And I, I think that that was something that the short just really nailed.
0: I wrote a pilot for FX a few years ago, uh, based on, it was based on my two years in military Academy. Wow. I went to the school where they filmed taps. Wow. And, um, so I sold this comedy to FX and I'd always had Johnny in my mind. Cause it would have had to, there would have had to have been a lot of like young actors in yeah. this, um, because it was high school and like the any time we would talk casting I was always like I, I want Johnny to be in this as like the second main character There, there's a character that was based on me and then like his friend who's just kind of this like likable goofy kid and I was like that's gotta be Johnny I
1: mean he's he's that in Scott Pilgrim and that's where Mary and I first oh, met him oh yeah he's was in Scott Pilgrim was working on Scott Pilgrim and Yeah, a lot of the like that cast Edgar just like nailed it with the casting on that because everyone's now doing something big or or like really solid work
0: and I love that movie so much. Me too. I wish it would have done better. It's such a good fucking movie. Yeah, that movie is what made me rejoin Twitter. I (laughs) I had one million Twitter followers and I deleted my Twitter account because I was just being a bit deleted mine at one point. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I didn't I'm, have a million followers. i was so. sick of people like bitching at me for me posting my opinion. So I just deleted my account with a million followers. And then for two weeks I was like, yeah, this is all right. I'm glad I, I'm getting shit done. And then I went to the, the premiere at the Chinese theater and, uh, I gotta
1: be able to tweet about this movie. Fuck.
0: As soon as it was over, well, I was like, <laughs> I want to tweet. And I saw Edgar and I go, dude, I this makes me want to fucking tweet again. I don't have a Twitter account anymore. He's like, so make a new well, Twitter account. Make, on, yeah. make a new Twitter account. And I go, oh, yeah. yeah. So that, I well, What's funny is now account. if
1: you delete your account, because I've had this happen, Mary too, if you delete your account, you've got like a couple of months to like kind of rethink it. And all of your followers are reinstated. Oh. So, yeah, I think you got screwed a little bit on that.
0: I did. Because yeah. when, when I rejoined, I even like I had my managers try and get it back and twitter was like sorry man he fucked it up mary kind of restarted hers
1: on her own recognizance but she also did get that like publicity and manager thing of or agent thing of like uh we just heard you deleted her twitter oh yeah yeah. because i think they use that now they use your followers like they actually use that to figure out how commercial and viable you are yeah which is the studios the studios i mean yeah
0: yeah yeah. When I, I remember when I deleted it with a million follower, James, followers, James Gunn, like, called me up and he's like, are you fucking insane? You could have sold it. That's the thing you can do. He's yeah. Like, you can sell it and then just like change the name. Yeah. He goes, you could have sold that. You had a million followers. This oh my was God. like, what year did Scott Pilgrim come out? 2008, 10, 10, 10, yeah, 10 year. Uh, yeah. This was six, six years, ago. years ago. He's yeah. like, you could fuck you could have sold it and made so much money oh my god and i fucking felt so stupid i think i started around
1: that point (laughs) and it was like i remember because i do remember following brian o'malley the creator of scott pilgrim Uh pretty early on and like that was when weird twitter like i figured out like a weird twitter stuff was kind of funny so i started following a lot of those accounts and yeah but yeah i I pretty much now just like piss and moan about trump all the time that's like all (sighs) i do
0: Today, this is the, I know, it's raining, which is so suitable. Like, this is the inauguration. day I didn't
1: watch the inauguration itself, but as I, I was coming either.
0: over, I, uh, I put it on and
1: I saw that they, there were like protests and stuff happening, yeah. like trash cans being set on fire and dumb stuff like that. But the protests themselves are cool, but yeah, the,
0: he is the such stupid a piece stuff. Of in shit.
1: But, oh, yeah. Anyway,
0: I, yeah. <laughs> I, it's so funny. I got up this morning and I was, I was like, uh, hang know first thing I thought, was like, oh, they're fucking inaugurating that fucking monster today. And I was like, I gotta go get some coffee. And I walk outside, and I'm walking to my truck, and I, I'm feeling really weird and almost dizzy. And I I get in my car, and I'm driving to Starbucks, and I get on the freeway, and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? Is this, like, am, am I so depressed that it's affecting, like, my vision? And then I go... I forgot my glasses. <laughs> I fucking, I've never, I'm 47 years old. I have never, I've left never done the that house before. Yeah. Without my glasses. And I was on the freeway and I was just like, What's going on? Wow. I woke up at 5 a.m. this morning. I went to bed at 1230. I woke
1: up at 5 a.m., which is not like me. I I don't sleep in super late, but like 5 a.m. was me just knowing that there's something going on and I couldn't turn my brain off. And I started like (laughs) looking at Instagram and Twitter and I just was like, fuck this. And so I got up and took my dogs out and that whole thing. And yeah, it's uh, just one of those days. But Uh, whatever, we'll figure,
0: we'll we'll see what's going to happen now. Yeah. Let's see. Where are we at here? Oh, shit. An hour and seven minutes. That's, uh, that's good, man. Yeah. That's I was easy. a little worried. I I usually am talking with people that I've known for a while.
1: Yeah. I feel like sometimes this actually works out really well, though, because you can actually have conversations. It's like a surprised first date. Cruise, <laughs> cruise people meeting on cruises and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: so do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, jiu-jitsu. Oh, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> I want to talk about jiu Okay. A few more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, five minutes. I just want to preach preach the gospel of jujitsu, man. I'm. How long have you been doing it? I've been doing
1: jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu now for three and a half years, maybe a little bit more now. Um, I'm a blue belt uh, that goes white, blue, purple, brown, black. Uh-huh. And it's one of those things that I just have ca- fallen completely in love what with. What made you start? So I used to watch like MMA kind of secretively because I yeah. felt like well, I shouldn't like this and I'm an, I'm an artist and I don't want to like, yeah. what are people going to think of it? What's Mary going to think? And so she would come in and I would like change the channel like I was. <laughs> watching porn or something. I'm, I'm like, in here. No, uh, uh, I'm not. No, nothing. Um, so I, I was watching MMA and, and it was m- the fights that really, really intrigued me were the ones that ended up on the ground.
0: Grappling and you. the
1: guy who was less athletic looking or, um, wasn't as good at striking was just demolishing somebody, uh, yeah. on, on the ground. And I, I, was like, what is that? And in doing research, I was like, Oh, that's jujitsu. I should like figure out a jujitsu thing. Yeah. And then I started working on tower prep as the staff writer. And I, we were working in Glendale, downtown Glendale and, uh, down the street one day I was walking to Porto's and I passed this place that had a, um, a sign up saying, uh, j- uh Gracie jujitsu or it was called Gracie Baja in uh-huh. particular. And, uh, I was like, I'm going to go in there and sign up once they officially like open their doors. And three years later, I finally walked through those doors and signed wow. up. It took me that long because I was nervous. I was like, I don't, what if I'm not that guy? What if I, I'm also out of shape. And like, and Gracie's
0: I, one of the biggest names in jujitsu. It's the,
1: it's the family name that kind of started Brazilian jujitsu and uh, yeah. kind of took it and I made it more Hoist mainstream. Hoyce Gracie, Gracie uh, Hicks and Gracie, the yeah. whole, the whole crew. I mean, UFC started as a way of showing Gracie Jitsu could beat up any other type of martial art. And so yeah. like, it's funny that that's the history and now it's more of a well-rounded sport and yeah. everyone has to know grappling or else you're going to get destroyed, yeah. just like everyone has to know striking too. Yeah. But I was like, well, I don't want to get punched in the face, but I do want to learn how to break somebody's foot or like uh, <laughs> choke, foot. choke somebody out or yeah. whatever it is. So started doing jujitsu. Yeah. Like I said, I think it was May of 2013. Uh, that first year I was into it, but I was going like twice a week, maybe, maybe once a week here and there. And, and then I started making faults. And so I took. Uh, a month off to make it. And then while editing, I took, ended up taking uh, a month off, which turned into two yeah. months, which turned into four months. And I finally got the courage to go back. I basically was just like worried that I wasn't going to have it anymore. Like yeah. I, I was going to get my ass kicked and I did get my ass kicked when I came back, but I, you get it pretty quickly. You get your cardio yeah. back up and, and, uh, ever since I've just, I can't not go. And, and this year in particular, Mary, uh, and I moved to New York for about five months while she shot a show called Brain Dead. Mm-hmm. And while she was there, I was writing, but also had a lot of downtime and kind of holding down the fort and she had long hours. So I was like, well, I'm going to go to the like greatest martial arts Academy in New York, uh, Marcella Garcia's Academy. And I'm just going to have a blast and do jujitsu like five times a week. And And so I did that and came back and was like, I want to do that here now. And yeah. so I ended up changing schools. I, I love my old school, but I also wanted to do less gi jiu-jitsu, which means you're wearing like the actual kimono. Yeah. And I wanted to do more no gi, which is more just like Spandex guys. In, tights yeah. And, tights and, yeah. and shorts and shirts. Yeah. And, and it's more like a real fight. Yeah. And so I, I moved to this other school in, in LA and the instruction is like, Incredible. And the guys there are so good. What's the school called? It's called Five Star Martial Arts, okay. but it's, uh, and it's affiliated with Hinzo Gracie, uh, in New York. It's okay. it's also called Hinzo Gracie LA. And, uh, I basically, like, I've gotten one of my director friends, uh, uh this guy named Stefan, uh, into it. He's been doing it for about a year now and he's got his, he's a white belt. And then I've got two other directors. I almost got James Ponsold into it. His wife bought him lessons, but he never showed up. And then <laughs> Sam, I don't care, like calling him out about that because he, he should have come. He wanted to, but yeah. he never did. And then, uh, another director friend of mine, uh, is, is talking about trying to start a cl- start classes. Uh, I, I got a text the other day from John Gorley, the lead singer and guitar player for the Man, just yeah. saying like, so what about this jujitsu thing? Like everyone's starting to get into like, the idea of doing it and I, I think it's a great way of staying in shape but also just learning how to defend yourself and feeling confident and you've learned something new every day how much more
0: confident do you
1: feel a though? million times yeah. like i know what to do to the body to make it break and bend and stuff and i'm not like the toughest guy in the world but yeah. if somebody else doesn't know how to grapple like there's just no comparison yeah. like, i I, so I could i don't know the first thing about striking but if i can take something to the ground i i i feel confident but in general, I just feel more confident about myself. I I I was at one eighty almost when I started jujitsu. Couldn't make it through my first class without throwing up. And oh now I I weighed myself yesterday because I'm looking at competing again soon. I'm one forty seven. Holy shit! And it's just like I I feel incredible. And it's just like a mental component and like just learning new techniques every day. And, and you have bad days and you have good days, but they're always fun. So it's I've
0: always like wanted to. I've always been obsessed with martial arts, and I hate using the Karate Kid as an example, but (laughs) I fucking loved the Karate Kid. I love Bruce Lee movies. I love all those Shaw Brothers movies, Um, and I've always kind of wanted to try a martial arts, you know? It's so funny.
1: Like, when I was a kid, I was super into martial arts movies, but as an adult I, I haven't really watched a lot. Yeah. And I started doing jujitsu and now my next thing that I wrote, it's called The Art of Self Defense that I'm trying to get made right now. We've got a producer on board and the Zellner brothers are like EPing it and nice. like, I'm just so excited about it and trying to get that kind of put together. But that's about like karate and jujitsu oh and martial arts. But it's like with a false type of bend. Or, uh, I was gonna say, I was like
0: when you were coming here, I was gonna say, I I, I wanna tell him he should do a fucking martial arts movie.
1: It's my, yeah, my martial arts movie is basically uh, a takedown of masculinity and like the machismo, yeah. like thing that guys innately have in them and like the wanting to belong, but also like w- wanting to not feel like, yeah. like they, they can't handle like take care of themselves and, and just like feeling less than a man. And I, I feel like everyone kind of has that in them. And, and then there's the opposite end of the spectrum of like all these douchebags call people like beta males and cucks and yeah, shit yeah, like yeah. that. That's oh. just the stupidest thing. And, uh so yeah that's that's what that movie's about and uh I'm trying to get it figured out but it's I I wanted to do a jiu-jitsu movie and and then I was like well I don't think jujitsu jitsu would look very cool on screen like especially going for more of a comedic darkly comedic uh thing right. tone Doing karate and more of that type of martial art yeah. is, is probably better suited for, for visuals. So I'm doing that and it's going to look darky and it's going to look cumbersome and awkward and not cool, but it's also going to be really brutal and violent and that's funny. Great. And so that's, I'm, I'm excited about that. It's
0: been a It's one of my dreams is to book a gig where I have to, I have to learn martial arts. It's always been what, or to, to be even have a studio pay me to see it or pay a trainer Yeah, for me.
1: Mary like in the cast of Scott Pilgrim got to do that with like Wushu with yeah. things for Scott Pilgrim and she loved it. She didn't keep up with the Wushu thing, but she like loved it. It was like dance for her. I know a um, lot of people that, that stuff have is cool. done
0: Wushu and their only complaint was it fucked up their knees.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to stay away from hurting any of my body right now and like did two classes yesterday, one in the morning, one in the evening and I haven't done that before, so yeah, I'm kind of feeling it today. But it's sore. like good oh, too. Fuck. It feels great. Yeah, and I competed recently, and like out of twelve guys, got silver. And I saw that's it's just it's. And I thought that I I didn't even really prepare for that that competition. I kind yeah. of was just like, well, let's just see what happens. And I think that the, all that kind of stuff is just adding up to being like this is the best thing that i could have done for myself in terms of health and fitness and also just like being positive i just feel happier uh from it and mary's noticed a change too and and also she's like well if that's what jujitsu does to your body then like (laughs) i'm I'm okay with that too yeah i
0: just started dating a girl like four months ago and it has totally inspired me to like we've started walking everywhere and Mm -hmm. like you know she she lives out of town she lives in cincinnati and she came to LA, you know, like a month or so ago and we she was staying here and we woke up in the morning. She's like, Is there anywhere to eat around here? I go. I go, yeah, there's this. Let's walk up to this place. Yeah, yeah, there's this place just down down the hill. And she's like, Can we walk there? And I go, uh I <laughs> guess. I've always driven there, which yeah. is bonkers. It's bunkers,
1: yeah. And same thing with our grocery store that's nearby. Yeah. Like I until I went to New York and, and was walking everywhere. I always drove down there and now yeah. I'm like, why was I doing that? It's, it's a 15 minute walk there yeah. and back.
0: She's like, we're walking. And so yeah. I go, okay. And we walk and so we're down her. there. She's like, is there a Starbucks nearby? And I go, I mean, there's one down at like sunset and Gower. That's like a mile away. And she's like, okay. she's like uh, <laughs> she's like, yeah. And then walking there down there and down there was fine. It was like walking back. I was just like, my chest was hurting. Yeah. And I was like, this is horrible. And then, The next day, she's like, I want to walk up to the observatory. And so we went over to Griffith Park, and like that almost killed me. I was sucking air. And then the next day, she's like, I want to walk up to the Hollywood sign. Because you can walk up behind it now. I thought I was going to die. And now I've gotten to the point where it doesn't hurt anymore. it's so much more fun. And I've lost... 15 pounds Dude, it's one of those
1: things like i just turned 30 this summer and i know that i'm still young but i, I also I just realized that my body reacts differently to things yeah. and i don't want to lose like i i, I don't want to get to a point one day where i say well i'm too old to do something yeah like, i just want to keep doing stuff so yeah. that i never have that feeling uh i never was like the fitness guy ever yeah. i was always like the nerdy yeah.
0: musiciany yeah artisty guy and so now it's fun to be both i was in san francisco last weekend it was it's just all hills and i was like i'm walking every to every show Mm -hmm. everyone in three days i walked 20 miles yeah
1: it's what you do when you go to europe like you walk everywhere and then you think for some reason here you think oh i have
0: to drive That's I just so funny. I feel so much fucking better. Yeah. And I'm like, now that I can fucking walk and not feel out of breath, I'm just, it's, it's all I do. I park further away, mm-hmm. even when I don't have to, just cause I'm like, I'm going to make myself walk. Yeah. So jujitsu y'all, I might look into that.
1: We also the, the school also offers Muay Thai. It's good. I haven't done the Muay Thai thing. I'm more into the jujitsu. Yeah. But Yeah check all it out
0: right. and people can find you on, on uh, Twitter
1: social and Instagram both are Riley Stearns E
0: uh, A R N S, E
1: A R N S, um, and yeah if you want to like see random assorted photography pictures,
0: yeah. jiu-jitsu uh, all we have very stuff, similar cameras I, I love his uh, Riley's Instagram um, very kind your all your a7 stuff is is beautiful the new stuff you were shooting with that low light lens is so good
1: oh yeah that that's a, a fun little lens it's a point. Zero point nine five aperture, which is that's crazy. kind of crazy, and it's it's the the old Canon one, not the the Leica yeah. one. So it's a little bit cheaper. But I yeah, my, my brother in law has one and let me borrow it. So I I didn't pay for it because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to afford it. But I'm borrowing it and trying to take it it. I left it.
0: I left my fifty millimeter uh, Canon like my one point eight or whatever it is at my girlfriend's house and it has my metabones adapter on it so i can't use any of my canon lens i'm I, stuck yeah. i mean not stuck that's a great lens my 35 millimeter, but you can't do anything with them yeah no. i uh,
1: i've pretty much just started basically only using this 28 now uh the like the one made for the sony's it's a good and i like it it's, it's a good width it's uh inexpensive compared to some of the other ones yeah. and i like wider lenses especially for portraits yeah um yeah and i just i'm a hobbyist with that but it's it's a, a very fun hobby yeah yeah
0: so follow riley check out his stuff online and uh thanks for doing this thank man. you so much for having me easy peasy there you go all right thanks bye
1: Did you hear the news? Metro PCS is now Metro by T-Mobile. Now you get new plans with unlimited high-speed data all month long. All on the T-Mobile network. Check out the new Metro by T-Mobile today and discover the smarter way to get unlimited. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. During congestion, the fraction of customers using greater than 35 gigs per month may notice reduced speeds. And Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video streams at 4 p Coverage not available in some areas. See store for details and terms and conditions.